the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times business podcast. This is Wednesday, January 13th. I'm Kieran Hancock. And on this week's show, we'll be getting an update from Simon Carswell in the United States about David Drum's bid for bail in Boston. We'll also be looking at the recent wobbles in global stock markets. But we're going to start with David Drum. This week, yet another appeal was turned down by a US court. And joining me on the line to fill us in on the background is Simon Carswell, our Washington DC-based correspondent. I'm also joined in the studio by Fintan O'Toole, who wrote a column in this morning's Irish Times, arguing that Drum being held in prison in this matter was utterly vindictive. But we'll start with Simon. Uh, Simon, perhaps you could just update us on what happened this week. Well, it was his second attempt to seek bail, and he went before a U.S. District Court judge by the name of Richard Stearns in the Moakley Courthouse, which is on Boston's waterfront. Um, and the, he made the case, his lawyers argued that the, uh, the lower court judge, a uh, judge by the name of Donald Cabell before Christmas, made a number of errors in um, deciding to refuse him bail. Uh, and the judge uh, ruled this week and said that he should not be... He agreed with the lower court judge and rejected um, uh, Mr. Drum's petition to seek bail uh, for a second time ahead of his extradition hearing on March 1st. And the judge rejected Drum's view that the possibility of being granted bail in Ireland pending a criminal trial on 33 charges constitute a special circumstance war- warranting his release. He also dismissed Trump's view that the alleged seven-year delay in the Irish authorities seeking his extradition amounted to another special circumstance meriting his release. And he also rejected the view that the utter dependency of uh, Mr. Drummond's wife and two daughters on his ability to function as a family breadwinner was also a special circumstance. So what this means is uh, David Drum remains in prison, at maximum security prison, about an hour south of Boston in Plymouth County, and he'll remain in jail until his extradition hearing, which has been scheduled for March 1st. And has he any other avenue of appeal in the meantime? Well, he can go to a higher court, which is the First Circuit Court of Appeals. It's a court just below the Supreme Court here in the U.S. And he, uh, the, the grounds for appeal are, 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 not, are not great. He's got a very high bar to clear because there's a presumption of bail not being granted in extradition cases. And he has to prove special circumstances, given that there are two judges rejected that there were any special circumstances that would warrant his release on bail. The likelihood of an appeals court overturning both those judges' decisions is highly unlikely. Uh, it looks like he's going to be facing jail for at least another seven weeks and possibly longer, because his own lawyers have said he plans to fight the extradition case very hard and also points to the fact that he may appeal uh, that he may appeal any extradition finding against him where he's sent back to Ireland. Fintan O'Toole, there might have been a few raised eyebrows uh, in Ireland this morning at your column at the, at the fact that you feel it's utterly indecent the way he's being incarcerated while he awaits his trial and you feel it's also uh, somewhat vindictive on the part of the Irish government to persist in seeking this. Yeah, um, you know, uh, there shouldn't really be raised eyebrows about this. Um, I think we have uh, a respect for justice in Ireland, you know, and, and justice requires the full rigour of the law, but no more than the full rigour of the law. And the full rigour of the law means... But someone who has had the presumption of innocence, remember Drum has not been found guilty of anything at all so far. Um, he is charged with very, very serious offences and it's absolutely in the interests of Ireland um, that, uh, that, that, those of, that that prosecution goes ahead with the maximum amount of fairness, of dignity and of transparency. And I cannot for the life of me see what uh, purpose is served 
by uh, placing someone uh, who is legally innocent in what we know to be an extremely dangerous uh, prison environment in the United States. Uh, the United States is not a normal country in relation to its prison system. You know, its prison system is an absolute disgrace to a civilized country. And, and I think most thinking people in the United States, Republicans as well as Democrats, are, are, are coming around to, to seeing this. I mean, it's a really horrific system. It's a system in which um, violence, including sexual violence, uh, is extremely commonplace. It's a system in which the atmosphere of intimidation, psychological pressure is, is absolutely constant. And it's a system that really nobody who has looked at it objectively at all thinks, um, you know, bears any relationship to what a civilized prison system ought to be. And that's uh, bad for people who have been convicted. You can say, OK, well, you committed the crime. Uh, these are the conditions that we impose on people who, who, who commit crimes in the United States. David Drum has not been found guilty of any crime, you know. And, and uh, so there are only two good reasons for holding him in prison. One is that he's a current danger to anybody else. That he's a flight risk, essentially. No, no, well, that, that's the second one. The, the first one is that he's a danger, you know. That, that to the community. He is, he is, and the judge has already ruled yeah, that I mean, so, so I think I he's mean, accepted that. Everybody, everybody agrees that that's not the case. Right? So the only, the only ground then is that he's a flight risk, right? And so, absolutely, the Irish state has, a, you know, a completely legitimate reason for, for, for wanting to ensure that David Drum doesn't run away right? and that he uh, is, is subject to the normal process of extradition and brought back to face the charges. However... Um, is there the slightest evidence that he's a flight risk? And even if there were, uh, the judges have accepted that actually, you know, what, well, there's things you can do, you know, and, and Drum and his lawyers have offered that he would be held under house arrest, he would be tagged, he would be monitored uh, with, with, with special security, which they will pay for. Now, I can't for the life of me see why, uh, given that there is an alternative way of holding the man, which does not involve threats to his safety, which does not involve this particular kind of cruelty, um, why the Irish government, uh, through the US attorney, is insisting on him being held in prison. And I don't see how you can describe that as being anything other than vindictive. There is no uh, legal purpose being served here. I know when I wrote this, a lot of people are very angry and saying, basically, we don't like David Trump. But not liking someone is not a ground for someone's basic human rights to be taken away from them. And it's not a ground for treating people in this unnecessarily cruel and undignified fashion. On the contrary, actually, you know, the fact is, people we don't like need protection even more than people we do like. If, if the legal system is going to be subject to considerations of popularity, Daniel O'Donnell could commit murder in the morning and get away with it, you know. <laughs> uh, the, the, the whole purpose of a legal system is that it's a system of laws and not of people. If David Drum was called David Bass... Would would we be happy that an Irish citizen was, was being treated in this way? I don't think we would. Simon, based on the court hearings today, do we have any sense of why the Irish government uh, wants David Drum to be incarcerated while he awaits trial? Well, the government lawyers who are representing Ireland in the case over here do argue that he is a flight risk. Uh, and the judge, while he did not uh, offer an opinion on whether he's a flight risk or not, this is Donald Cabell, the judge who denied him bail on the first occasion before Christmas, he said that the seriousness of the charges he faces back in Ireland gives him an incentive to flee. And he said that his experience and his, his access to some resources um, at his disposal means that it's possible. Um, so, and the other issue is for these judges is there appears to be very little regular room. There's not a lot of discretion when it comes to what they can do. Uh, the extradition rules between Ireland and the U.S. are governed by a treaty and the uh, government attorneys over here have argued that there's a diplomatic necessity in him being held and the government lawyers last week have said that the Irish government had um, asked him 
uh, had asked the, the U.S. government to, um, to to detain Mr. Drum. So, I mean, the other thing as well is I think, you know, David Drum in some respects is only himself to blame in some of this. He decided to move to Massachusetts and choose and chose not to return to Ireland to cooperate with the investigations, and that's been well outlined in court. And, the judge before Christmas agreed with the issue and said that there was the delay in charging Drum. He had claimed that uh, Drum had claimed that the uh, delay in bringing charges against him of about five years was um, an unbelievable delay and unreasonable. But the judge said, well, it's partly attributable to the fact that it was his own decision to relocate to the U.S. Uh, and when this ca- case first came to court in October, the, um, the government lawyer said, well, if you know, David Drum can resolve the situation immediately, he can choose to return to Ireland and face the charges. Um, and it, it should be pointed out that these extradition proceedings in the U.S., they're actually not criminal proceedings. They don't fall under the criminal uh, criminal statutes here. This is, uh, in effect, a civil matter. Um, but saying that there, the fact that the judges don't seem to have any discretion in terms of where Mr. Drum is held um, is a problem for him. And again, I think it might have to change his calculus. I think his view was, well, I'll get, uh, I'll be confined to home under house arrest and I can fight this for some time. And I tend to agree with his own lawyers when they said in court last week that they feel that the conditions of his incarceration are designed to be so harsh and, and so indifferent and so cruel uh, to force him to waive his right to, extra, uh, to fight extradition and to return home to Ireland. Sure, and we so, should, I suppose, remind listeners, I think he's been moved four times in two months uh, in terms of the prisons he's, he's been in and he's also in solitary confinement, is that right? Yeah, he's in solitary confinement for his own protection. There's been some issues raised with the courts, but they've been raised under seal where there have been safety uh, concerns raised. We don't know what exactly happened in, in either any of the prisons that he's been held in. Um, but it, the judge this week said, well, uh, he, he, he did express some concern about the safety issues that around Mr. Drum. And also he said that he referred it back to the lower court judge to uh, see if there's ways of helping Mr. Drum um, meet his counsel much more easily than than he has been getting through the the trail he's been held in at the moment. Okay, Fintan, there is an irony in all this in that if uh, David Drum had stayed in Ireland, as Sean Fitzpatrick and others at Anglo did, um, this might all have been finished. I mean, it's more than seven years since Anglo collapsed now. We've had uh, had some trials of Anglo executives and, you know, not a whole lot has happened. So, Absolutely. I I mean, if I was David Drum, and thankfully I'm not, but if I was David Drum, I would have taken my chances in the Irish legal system because it's a pretty good bet. You know, it's the the record of the Irish legal system in terms of prosecuting uh, any of the kinds of charges that, that David Drum is facing is not good. Um, however, I think we do have to stand back from this. You know, Yes, of course it's true that he, he made these decisions himself. He chose to go to America. He didn't do anything illegal in going to America. You know? the, Irish, the Irish system was so slow in terms of charging the guy People have been talking on Twitter and all the, he's a fugitive from justice. Actually, he's not. You know, the, the charges came long after he had left and he went to America. True, but he has refused legal. to come home, hasn't he? Yes, he has. But, but again, I mean, think about this. And he this. refused to come home and attend a banking inquiry. He did, uh, he did. Week. Yeah, but, but, but think about this. Think about this. I mean, people do have a right who, ha- who, who have been charged with criminal offences to, to challenge their extradition. You know, it, it, and it's a, it's a right that extends to every single one of us. You know, if, if, if Simon is charged tomorrow with something, you know, it's very important that he has legal rights. You know, it's, it's actually not good enough to say, well, why, doesn't he, why doesn't he just, just come home? You know, the legal process actually does matter. And it's a protection not for David Drum. It's a protection for every single one of us. If we allow our anger about Drum and the contempt that people have for Anglo-Irish Bank, quite absolutely justifiably, and God knows I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hardly someone who has, had, who has shown any sympathy for any of these people. 
But if we allow that contempt to override our sense that there's actually something really wrong going on when a man is being held, he will, he will be held for almost five months before he has the actual hearing of, of the actual extradition case in conditions that have been pretty much accepted to be conditions that are uh, dangerous for him. The, the reason he's in solitary confinement is because he's, he, is, he has been judged to be under threat. I just don't think it's acceptable that a prison system which is not able to protect prisoners from threat, other than through the extreme measures of solitary confinement, people know what solitary confinement is like. You know, it's, it's, it's been recognised around the world by Human Rights Watch, by Amnesty International, by body after body as, as you know, as a form of mental abuse. It's, it's a really serious business. It's not like this is nice and, and, and you get to have your own cell and it's all lovely. It's actually a condition of extreme isolation, which is really has, you know, we know this is really serious consequences for people's mental health. I, and the fact is that there is an alternative in this case, right? If there was no alternative, this is the only possible way he could be he could be held. Then you'd say, well, it's it's it's, it's tough, but it's the way it is. But there is an alternative, and I, I mean, Simon very accurately outlines what what the situation is, which is that the 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 trump card, if you read the judgments, the trump card in all of them is diplomatic necessity, and by that they mean that the Irish government is asking us to hold him in detention. Now, the Irish government can't control the American courts. But what it can say, because it's been represented in all these cases, is, look, we have no problem. So long as the, the, the guy is securely confined, we don't care whether that's in his own house with, with, with an ankle bracelet on and with, with 24-hour security and, and whatever else he can pay for. So long as he can convince the court that there's a secure condition, there is no reason for him to be subjected to these cruel conditions. And some of this stuff is really pretty nasty. I mean, denying the guy a visit from his mother on Christmas Eve, for God's sake, you know, what, mm. what, what, what's that about? Sure. You know, it, that is about a certain kind of vindictiveness. And this is the most important prosecution arguably in the history of the state, right? Because it... it, it of the it, Irish state. Of the Irish state. Because it refers to things which have had really profound historic consequences for Irish people. It's all the more important for our dignity, for our sense of how we respond to those traumatic events, that we see this thing done properly in a transparent and defensible way. And I think it is being tainted by a vindictiveness which is should be beneath us. And let's throw it forward a little bit. Do you think that this, the fact that he has been uh, kept in prison uh, for all this time since October, do you think that this might reinforce in, in the minds of Irish people if he were to be extradited that actually he has a case to answer and do you think he can get a fair trial here? Well, you know, it, it, this one of the fears I have, right, and it's the last thing any of us wants to see, you know, for God's sake, is that, 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 that the, the fair trial that he deserves is in any way tainted by any suspicion, you know, that, that, that he can make a case that he's already been tried, he's already been seen as guilty. I have a worry about this because a lot of the response I get from people and, you know, I've had a lot of criticism for writing the piece I wrote. But, you know, people talk about, for example, the perp walk, you know, which is this kind of uh, show that's put on in the States. In chains. Yeah, in in, in chains. Uh, I mean, the perp walk is abysmal. I mean, it's really abysmal way of doing things because even that phrase, the perp walk, the perpetrator, these are not the perpetrators. These are people who are innocent until they're proven guilty. And this whole American system of parading people as being guilty, treating them as criminals before there has been due process, um, is is one of the things we don't have in our society. And it's one of the things we should be proud of not having in our society, actually, that we do try our very best to stand back from a legal process and say, once the legal process has started, once charges have been put into place, it's really important that there's no prejudgment of this, that somebody does get a fair trial. And it's important for two reasons. I mean, one is that the person deserves it in the first place, but also 
that a, a process which is in any way tainted is also then subject to, to being derailed on appeal. People can turn around and say, well, the guy has to be released because there was no chance of him getting a fair trial. We've had this as happened in in Ireland before, you know, Charles Hoy, for example, um, was, 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 was not capable of being prosecuted because prejudicial comments were made in relation to him. None of us wants to be parties to that. And I just think we should stand back from this, let the emotion out of it, um, you know, treat it as if this was any other Irish citizen in this context. Uh, and what's in our interest? In our interest is, first of all, that our citizens are treated with human rights, whoever they are. And secondly, that our judicial process is seen to be one that is utterly transparent and utterly fair. And I think there's a danger in relation to both of those sides of it in, in, in how Drum has been treated. Simon, you've written that this case could actually go on for years. Um, and given that David Drum is essentially a bankrupt, how is he funding all this? Uh, it was said in court last week that his employer's uh, U.S. investment company are paying, is continuing to pay his salary while he's in jail and also paying his legal fees. He had been working for um, two brothers, the Breslin brothers. They're from County Mead originally, but they're very successful business people in the New York uh, area. They own a number of bars and they were involved in a very successful scaffolding company um, uh, called Safeway Atlantic, which they sold for a substantial, substantial sum of money. So David Drum has strong connections with them. I just want to go back to a point that, that Vinton made. Um, one thing that may be lost as well in all of this is that uh, weighing very heavily on the minds of the two judges who decided on his decision to refuse him bail was the decision of two judges in his bankruptcy case, um, which raises issues around David Drum's credibility. Um, Donald Cabell, the judge before Christmas and denying bail for the first time, uh, said that he, 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 he brought into uh, account those two rulings. And the ruling of another judge, Frank Bailey, last year in the bankruptcy ruling, found that Drum was not remotely credible after um, hearing evidence of her six-day trial in, in 2014. And he said that Drum's statements to the court were replete, replete with knowing false statements, failures to disclose, efforts to misdirect, and outright lies. And this was in a case that um, the courts heard that David Drum had been concealing assets from his creditors by transferring them to his wife, substantial sums of money. So that has obviously had a bearing on whether the judges can take seriously um, conditions of bail that Mr. Drum has offered, where he's agreed to stay at home 24-7, he's agreed to a private security guard monitoring him. So that had a big, that was a big issue as well in the decision not to grant him yeah, bail. Yeah, I might, I might just take up Simon's point there. I mean, Frank Bailey said that he described David Drum as a quick thinker, adept in testimony intended to deflect, misdirect, avoid and fabricate. So why should we believe anything he tells the court now? Yeah, well, we don't have to believe anything he says. I mean, the whole, the whole point of a legal process is you don't believe the guy, of course. Um, it, uh, it, any alternative process to, to prison ha- has to be one which is objectively verified by the court. You know, there's no, there's no question of the court kind of letting the guy out and saying, you know, just sign a piece of paper and we all, we all believe you and it's all fine. Of course, he would have to be rigorously monitored and controlled and under house arrest. Um, but the courts have also accepted that it's perfectly possible to construct a system. I mean, the, the same judgments that Simon has cited also say, uh, yes, of course, if, 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 if we wish to do this, it's, it's perfectly possible to construct a system under which the guy is safely held. Is David Drum a liar? Absolutely, he's a liar. Do, do liars have human rights yeah they do you know yeah. sadly uh, you know uh, uh, th- this is the difficult thing about human rights they, they apply to people whom we don't admire and don't like uh, and the fact is that 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 uh, there is a disproportion between drum's uh, stated uh, record as a liar and the fact that the guy is in a hellish environment 
where we know and it's, it's accepted that there are daily threats to his safety such that he has to be held in solitary confinement. So what do you think the government should do? So what the government should do and should have done all along is, is, is stated that it, it has no interest in David Drum being held under harsh and cruel prison conditions, right? That the the government's interest is, is in ensuring that he is available for extradition, which means that it wishes to see very, very convincing evidence that he can be held under uh, more humane conditions of, of house arrest. Um, and the government could have could have stated that at any stage, you know, and it could have said that there is no diplomatic necessity, which is what's been been cited all the time, uh, for, for, for Drum to be held in these particular kinds of conditions. The US courts can still decide, you know, it's, it's up to them. They can still say, well, actually, take, even taking that into account, we're still going to hold them. And then there's nothing else we can do. But the fact is the guy, like it or not, is an Irish citizen, you know. And you have to think if this was you or me or one of our kids in Australia or in uh, in the United States or in any other country who was, who was being subject to legal process, would we want them to be rotting in a prison system which is accepted by everybody to be outstandingly cruel and dangerous. No, we wouldn't. Uh, and would we expect our own governments to try to ensure that the rights that we have include that the government tries to put us into positions uh, where the minimum amount of danger, the minimum amount of cruelty is imposed in order to fulfil the function that needs to be fulfilled. The function that needs to be fulfilled here is that David Run turns up in court on March the 1st. There's other ways of doing that without, without, without having him in these very, very extreme conditions. Simon, the case, uh, the extradition case will be heard on March the 1st. What's the timetable after that? Well, we don't know. We don't know how long it's going to take. If uh, David Drum's lawyers are to be believed, it's going to be some time before uh, any possibility of him returning to to Ireland, if at all, because they have said that they intend to um, uh, appeal if they if it goes against him. Um, this is also a probable cause hearing. It's not actually an adversarial trial. They're not actually getting into the detail of whether uh, David Drum is guilty of these 33 criminal charges that he faces. All they've got to decide, the court has to decide, is whether David Drum has a case to answer back in Ireland. Um, and the judge, uh, Don, Donald Cabell, feels that it, it could be quite quick. Uh, the government lawyers here feel it could be quite quick, quick but uh, Drum's lawyers feel it be some time. Just another point, again, going back to something that, that, that uh, Sinton raised. Um, I'm not sure the government, given that you know years of... Uh, the fact that David Drum hasn't cooperated for years, whether they would actually uh, say to the U.S. authorities, "Well, it's okay. We 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 believe he's he can be released to home confinement," because uh, I think that that would perhaps encourage uh, David Drum to fight extradition and to challenge it under appeal. Um, also, the fact that um, the government wants him back immediately, uh, I think they feel that detention is the way to go, uh, and that given that he hasn't cooperated for some time, there is a fear that he, he would, uh, and, and as the judge said, he has an incentive to flee. So uh, I think that those are issues that will be on the minds of the Irish government, and certainly they won't be pushing the US uh, authorities to release him anytime soon. Fintan, an incentive to flee? Well, you know, where is he going to flee to? You know, I mean, that's the whole point of this Caribbean. guy. Is, well, the whole point, I mean, you know, the whole point of this guy is trying to stay in the, trying to stay in the United States. That's the whole point of, of what he's trying to do. Uh, you know, I, I have no particular sympathy for him in, in relation to any of that. Um, but I think what Simon has said is, is the absolute truth of this, that, that essentially really cruel punishment in prison is being used to give him an incentive to drop his appeals against extradition. That's that's the actual truth of it. And I think we should worry about that, right? Because if this can happen to David Drum, remember, it can happen to anybody else, right? Which is that anybody who has any grounds for wanting to fight extradition, uh, you can be put in the most abysmal conditions and 
it, there's then an incentive, remember, for those conditions to be as bad as they possibly can be. The worse those conditions are, the better in that logic, right? Which is that the worse they get, the more you're like to say, ah, oh, Jesus, get me out of here. I will do anything you want. That's not the way civilized countries do business, right? You, you know, you don't do it like that. It's, it's almost a form of like, it's a logic of torture. It's basically saying, if, if we make things so bad for you, you will do what we want. I mean, come on here, folks. There's, there's a real problem here about that. You know, the, the, the guy, like it or not, is entitled to challenge his extradition. You know, he has legal rights to do that. And putting him in a situation where you make things so deeply, deeply horrible for him that he gives away those rights, I think, would be setting a precedent that I don't think any Irish person would want to see in relation to them abroad. There is an irony here as well, which is the Irish High Court uh, in certain extradition cases has said, actually, we're really worried about extraditing people to the American prison system because it doesn't meet international standards of human rights. You know, and, and yet the same uh, Irish system, you know, is, is, is sort of using that American prison system as a kind of stick to beat drum with to get him back to Ireland. I just think, you know, there's reasons to feel very uncomfortable in, 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 in relation to this. And I think there is a political element of it. I, I, again, I actually think if this wasn't drum, if it was somebody else, the Irish government would take a very different view of it. I think there's a certain kind of political fear of saying, you know, this guy's a pariah. We don't want to be seen in any way to be going soft on him because we might get the blame. Uh, and again, I think that's uncomfortable. I, I, I just don't feel right about that. That kind of political consideration should not come into play in relation to the criminal justice system. OK, we'll see how that plays out in the coming weeks. Fintan O'Toole, Simon Carswell, thank you for joining us. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. Now we're going to look at the recent wobbles in global stock markets. Is it all down to nervousness about economic growth in China or are there other factors at play? And what does this all mean for Ireland? Joining me in studio is David Donnelly, Senior Investment Analyst with stockbroker Cantor Fitzgerald and Arthur Beasley, Economics Editor with the Irish Times. David, trillions of dollars has been wiped off share values around the world as a result of this stock market nervousness over the past 10 or 12 days. What's going on? Um, well, as you rightly say, it's it's one of the worst starts to a year um, since records began. Predominantly, as you, you mentioned, the weakness in economic data in China has, has been a concern. Um, so to start the year, we, we saw that um, manufacturing data, and let's remember that uh, China is one of the largest manufacturers in the world. Their manufacturing data saw a decline for the fifth straight month. So that sparked concerns in general that the Chinese economy was slowing down more than people had had previously thought. But it's still in growth. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, people are looking for between 6 and 7%. The difficulty with China is that official data out of the country can be unreliable. So instead, uh, investors were looking through to what the central bank in the country were doing to their currency. And what we saw during the week was that the People's Bank of China was starting to devalue that currency um, in 
increasingly large amounts. And that sparked concern then that the data that was coming, that we were seeing and that was being released, wasn't, going, wasn't actually as strong as we were being told. That resulted really in, um, obviously, a, a heavy market sell-off. Part of the problem was that investors had very little else to, to focus on last week. Mm. There wasn't much in the way of economic data out of um, the US or Europe. Um, and so all the headlines were, were predominantly concerned with China and its slowdown. Um, what we saw then toward the tail end of the week was that as other data points started to come through, markets stabilized. So we saw a particularly strong uh, U.S. jobs number last Friday, the, the non-farm payrolls were about 297,000 jobs were added during December. Um, and then yesterday, the fourth quarter earnings season started in the U.S. as well. And generally, markets have, have started to rebound. And there are problems with emerging markets as well, aren't there? I mean, Brazil is is in a very deep recession at the minute. Yeah, so a, a, lot, of, a lot of this stems from the, the idea of China as the growth engine um, both of emerging markets and the global economy. Um, and when fears about China start to raise their head, um, investors will naturally start to look at other emerging economies, those within the, the BRICS nations, like you, as you mentioned, um, Brazil, Russia, India, China, um, and assume that that those sim- similar weaknesses will, will carry through to those countries. Okay. And what's the impact being in Ireland on the Isaac on the Isaac overall index? I mean, Ireland's a small market globally in stock market terms, but what's, what's the impact been? Um, we, Ireland actually held up relatively well last week um, within the European context. So um, at, at worst, it was down sort of 3 4% last week. If you compare that to, say, the German index, the DAX, that was down 7 or 8% um, because of Germany's large export business with China. Um, So for Irish investors in general, the concern here is less about direct exposure to Chinese equities, because that would be quite limited, um, but more in terms of their investment in European or US companies that do have an exposure. So for for example, the, the likes of um, BMW, which has you know gets maybe twenty percent of its revenues from from China, or Apple. Obviously, iPhone sales are are quite important um, there as well. Yeah, Arthur, what about the impact on Ireland? I mean, everybody's pension is invested in shares, not just in Ireland, Irish shares, but uh, internationally as well. So, what what impact uh, will this have in Ireland? Well, I mean, I suppose the the, the key point is that this is a very, 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 very volatile uh, opening of trading in the year. I suppose the question is as to whether it will stabilise and whether markets come back or whether it morphs into something uh, more serious and more profound. I think, you know, any suggestion that you'd be into a kind of a a global crisis, and there are some bears out there in the markets who believe that that might well happen, that clearly would be very bad for people with investments. But, I mean, if it is that the uh, the situation stabilizes and people gather their nerves and people and the whole thing calms down well then you know uh, the the likelihood is that things come back you know yeah uh, what about the Irish economic recovery how exposed is the Irish economy to China for example which seems to be having its own problems I think direct exposure
exposure is, is, is pretty minimal. However, Ireland has very large exposure to uh, very large economies which are very heavily exposed to China. Within the Eurozone, the concern would be that a really serious downturn in China, if that's what materialises into something which would see China growing at much less than this anticipated 6, six or 7% growth rate, that in turn would pose problems for the likes of Germany, which is very heavily exposed to uh, China, and that in turn then would uh, raise concerns about the, the rate at which the Irish economy is picking up, because the Irish economy is growing very, very heavily, helped by very strong growth in the US, helped laterally by the turnaround and growth in the Eurozone, and helped at the outset by the recovery in the British economy. However, there are warning signals, although the job figures in the US are pretty good. George Osborne, the Chancellor in the UK, has been warning that, uh, that, that, that the British economy is in for a pretty rough time. Arthur, the recent weakness in stock markets uh, doesn't bode well for any IPOs that might be on the blocks. And of course, there's one very interesting one um, that's lining up in Ireland this year, and that's AIB, uh, with a, a potential 25% stake being offered to the market at some point this year. What impact um, might this have on, on an IPO of AIB? Well, I think if uh, you know if there's a market route and that market continues for uh, for a good many months, well, then it's very difficult to foresee that the government would be would proceed with an IPO. Uh, you know, bad markets uh, would signal that if the government was trying to float something on, on the market in London and Dublin, but well, then they'd have to accept a really really bad price. And you know, the the objective of this exercise is for the government to make a return on the money that it put into the bank, and the strategy is to ensure that all the money put into the bank uh, ultimately goes back to this taxpayer. So if markets are very, very bad, well then they're going to wait. Of course, we have an election to get out of the way, first of all, and we should see the formation of the next government before we can actually make a, a final call on a, an IPO of AAB, isn't that right? Well, I think, you know, I mean, I mean the, the I think the market would be wanting to see uh, some kind of certainty over fiscal policy, the certainty over the policy that would manage the economy in which allied Irish banks is operating. Uh, and uh, that seems to me to be the, uh, the first question that that would be asked, assuming that market conditions are such that would uh, facilitate an, an initial public offering. Yeah, David, what's the counter view on, on a potential IPO of AIB? Um, well, we currently we think there is um, probably a little bit more room to the downside in the AIB share price. Um, generally speaking, growth trends within the business are quite strong. Um, but the the share price has been very overvalued for for quite a long while. Um, so in the in the short term, um, ahead of the the IPO, we think there's probably more downside. But there, presumably, after, that'll be sorted out. Though <laughs> that, that's a kind of a structural issue that will be exactly. sorted out with an IPO. Yeah, a lot of that gets gets sorted with the IPO. Um, but the the growth trends within the the company itself are actually quite strong. Um, and as as we mentioned earlier, the economic backdrop within Ireland is obviously very very strong. So we saw, you know, it's a good play in the Irish economic recovery. Exactly, it's a pure play on it. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and finally, David, uh, what's your view for global stock markets for for the year? Do you think we will have a, a recovery, or do you think this weakness will persist? Um, I think, broadly speaking, we're in for more volatility throughout the year. I definitely don't think that's going anywhere. Um, but we see, a, we definitely see upside potential, uh, particularly in Europe, as I mentioned, um, and in, to some degree in the US. Um, but investors need to prepare themselves for more bouts of volatility throughout the year. Okay, David Donnelly and Arthur Beasley, thanks for joining us.
Okay, that's it for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Fintan O'Toole and Simon Carswell. To David Donnelly and Arthur Beasley, Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.